This podcast is part of the Midwest Podcast Network. Find out more about our other shows and how to support our network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. podcast my name is alex and i have not read caleb cars the alienist my name is nick and i had another witty intro but now i don't remember <laughs> today we'll be <laughs> today we'll be discussing season one episode nine of the tnt series titled requiem while we will not be spoiling any of the book and by extension any future plot lines of the show we will be discussing the details through episode nine of the entire series so pause this and go catch up before you listen to the rest of our episode you can find more episodes of our podcast at TheAlienist.tv and you can send feedback to feedback at TheAlienist.tv to tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on TNT's or Caleb Carr's The Alienist so we can read them on our show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding The Alienist or our podcast. Nick, this week I had a dream of mine recognized. Oh? Our friend... Uh, at seven oh, underscore yeah. is underscore lucky <laughs> on Twitter tweeted a Photoshop of one Mr. John Moore on a uh, not Fig Newtons, but a strawberry Newtons bag. Yes. And uh, it's it's quite wonderful. I'm going to include a link to it in the show notes on the TV. But <laughs> I was so excited when we received that. And yeah, it was great. I, I, it's just it's a thing of beauty so hopefully hopefully uh the the people over at the fig newton company uh are are in in the process of making this a real thing yeah who makes newtons is it nabisco uh yes yes from the picture there's a big nabisco in the corner so oh man i love see and it's funny because i i i love it but i remember i texted you and i was like <laughs> Yeah, not figs though. <laughs> they were strawberry, <laughs> and you were like, "I don't like." You had never made the connection that they were actually fig flavored. Yeah, it, it was just the 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 brand name. They weren't Newton cookies to me. They were just fig Newtons. Like that's what they were. Like and it was someone's like, name. Or there something. were strawberry fig Newtons, and <laughs> you know, so <laughs> which I totally get. And the only reason I know any better is because I love the fig ones. I yeah. love fig Newtons. Well, I haven't had one this side of the millennium, I'm pretty certain. So, Oh, I'm uh, fairly sure there's a box in my pantry right now. <laughs> but anyway, thank you to that kind uh, Twitter follower. And please, if you hear anything else that you're inspired to Photoshop, we would love to see it as well. Yeah, Still waiting awesome. on John with the cigarettes in his mouth. <laughs> so That one seems harder. Yeah, that one's a little that more one difficult. That one seems harder, but I'll, I'll bet... There's enough pictures of uh, of Luke Evans just blabbering <laughs> out there. Yeah, someone could source it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, that was a lovely surprise. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, so we got a bunch of emails this week as well. Let's talk about what Shane sent us. He said, hey guys, I'm loving the show and the podcast. I've read the book twice, but the last time was around seven years ago, so certain details are shady to me. One small detail, 
that's been bugging me was Laszlo's appearance. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't he have really long hair in the books? I know it's a small detail, but it's uh, changed the image I've always had of him. Anyways, keep up the great work. I uh, texted that to you, and you showed me an illustration that somebody did. You you said he's got more of a gothic look in the yeah, description. Yeah, if, if I recall, he's got like shoulder length hair and kind of a goatee. Yeah, I think there was a reason a lot of people in like the the late '90s millennium were saying that if it was adapted, that Johnny Depp should play him because he had kind of that like kind of that that vibe. Yeah. Um. And then yeah, there's a there's a bunch of there's not a bunch. There's a few websites that are sort of not fanficy, but they're like they're like fan clubs sort of, and uh, there were some illustrations gathered in there of what the different characters would look like. And Laszlo kind of all tended to have this sort of Doctor Strange sort of. Uh, Captain Jack looked a little kind of a them. shaggy, a little not shaggy, I guess, but uh, I think that uh, I, I don't know. I guess I, I'm thinking I'm kind of thinking of, of Gary Oldman and like Dracula or something. I think, but before like when he's not crazy looking, yeah. Um, I don't know why Caleb Carr chose to to make him that way. If he was going for more of like a European like count sort of look in his mind, or if he was trying to. to further distinguish him from the rest of the populace by making him look unusual. Yeah. But I think I, I really love what they did with him in the show. I like that. I, I really like the way he looks. I think it's completely appropriate. I think if he was walking around with like shoulder length black hair and like just made too much of an effort to make him look out of place, it would just, it wouldn't feel right. Yeah. I think, I think his appearance is perfect in the show. His, it would say something I think his appearance in the show, especially given some of the events from this episode, show that his wanting to keep a tidy appearance is his is maybe even a way of him assuming that's how he should look. Yes. In the eyes of other people, that kind of thing. Yeah, I so. think he wants he wants to blend in or he wants to he wants to be approachable. Yeah. He's not living up in a tower somewhere on some crazy mountain. <laughs> He's not the lead singer of the Goo Goo Dolls in the Iris video. Correct. He does not have a, a room of telescopes <laughs> from which to... That's a good reference, man. I'm bummed, I'm, I'm bummed out I didn't make that one. I'm also a little bummed I knew exactly what you were talking about. <laughs> right away. Oh, that's good. We speak. Wheeling across the room in, yep. his, uh, in his chair. <laughs> it's a great video. There's no reason to be shamed. Nope. All right. Guess not. Thank Wasn't you. Wasn't it for the soundtrack of City of Angels? Uh, I think it was. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised, though. That sounds like a, a song that I would believe be on there. there's footage of Nicolas Cage in the music video, too. <laughs> we'll have to do some research. Yeah. Uh, but thank you, Shane, for writing in with that thought. Uh, we got another email here from Kimberly with the subject The Alienist Recap 1X08. I'm not crying. You're crying. She said, my name is Kimberly, Kimberly R., and I have not read Caleb Carr's The Alienist. I have thoroughly enjoyed the television series, everything from the fantastic performances and cinematography down to the amazing quality of historical attention to detail. I so look forward to time traveling back each week, and your podcast has been the icing on the cake. You've had such a wonderful insight, and such wonderful insight, and I can tell you truly enjoy watching the show. While I have gotten multiple friends and co-workers watching the series with me so that we can water cooler talk about our theories, I also have many of them listening to your highly entertaining podcast as well. Thank you, Kimberly. That's fantastic. It and is. thank you to everyone else that uh, that she has invited along on this journey with us. 
Uh, and then she goes on to say, that all being said, I must share with you, I have only ever cried true sobbing over a television show once. It was season the season two finale of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And as soon as I read that, this is Alex speaking now, as soon as I read that, I knew exactly what she was going to say, and I cried at the same moment as well. So she says, when Buffy, spoiler alert, had to kill Angel in order to save the world. So now add to that list the Alienist episode eight, when Mary is tragically killed by Connor. I cried like a baby. Just another testament to show with great character development so that you as an audience member feel as though it's a personal loss. My tears were also for Laszlo, for as you said, he had finally opened up, allowed himself to be vulnerable, and embraced his feelings, a big turning point for his character. Keep up the good work, watch out for facial tics, and I look forward to binge-watching True Detective once the alienist has concluded. She says, thank you, Kimberly. Uh, Well, thank you very much. And as I said, I cried at that episode of Buffy as well, because it's honestly one of the saddest moments that I've ever seen in television. Um, but yeah, no, I think uh, I think Mary's death is certainly I feel like I was too shocked to be saddened by it at the time. And the mm-hmm. sadness really hit me at the beginning of this week's episode, really. This is well, yeah. That that's true, especially the way this one starts. Yeah, the the death is a little numbed for me because I knew it was coming, but it's yeah. it's way it's way more impactful in the show because you're you're there when it happens. Like I said in the book, it doesn't. You're not really there, so you kind of walk into it having happened. Um, and you and Mary's not as developed. Yeah, you, you don't. The tragedy of it doesn't hit you until like later, and okay. bef- so in the in the show it's just because you're there and, and and because you've been able to put a face to the name and and see a lot more of the sort of padded out uh interaction between her and Laszlo and they they really gave a lot of a lot of time to that relationship which at the initially I wasn't opposed to while we were watching it but I kind of wondered like eh, cuz as as you know we've been kind of going back and forth on the necessity of a lot of the subplots in the show but this yeah. I think was really great and uh, does a beautiful job of of putting Laszlo in in that state of mind where he's like, yeah, I'm I'm done, I'm out. Like I can't deal with this anymore, which is uh, which is kind of essential for this climax. So, um, yeah, I think it was tremendous. It was really well done. As upsetting as it is, I'm I'm really glad it was as well done as it was. Yeah, me and, too. Uh, somebody noted that that she does scream, which is interesting when she's thrown off the edge, and. Um, when I watched the uh, newest episode this week and they did the last week on, she does. She actually mm. screams when she's shoved over the edge, which is really interesting. It begs the question of whether or not her, her muteness was psychosomatic or, or what. Yeah. And whether or not Laszlo knew that or if he thought it was a physical or if he just didn't really care. It was interesting. Yeah, that is but, interesting. Uh, I didn't even yeah. notice. I didn't notice. I, I somebody was talking about it online after last week's episode aired, and I thought, "Oh, that's interesting." Yeah. And uh, I did notice it this time, watching the last week on. Kimberly also. But yeah, thanks for the feedback. Yeah, she oh, had sorry, a she, she had a PS on here. She said, "I think the movie that is similar to Mary and Laszlo's relationship you were trying to think of was 1993's The Piano <laughs> with Holly Hunter and Harvey Keitel." That's funny. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't. I would not have made that connection. I haven't seen the piano in a long time, probably almost ten years. Actually, I watched it when I was in school, and uh, it's a great movie. And uh, one of those movies that came out of—I don't want to say came out of nowhere, but like 
featured mostly unknowns and the director was unknown and it went on to like become this critical darling and uh um i think it won a couple oscars yeah and uh it is really good but who's who's the star it's harvey Keitel and holly Hunter. yeah that's what yeah yeah man i haven't seen that in forever i probably saw that movie in 2005 so maybe it's been more it's been more than 10 years yeah if my maths are correct (laughs) well if anybody else thinks of any potential mary and laszlo relationships write in and let us know I know, I know that's not the one I was thinking of, and it's right on the tip of my of my my brain, so to speak. But yeah. I can't uh, I can't put my finger on it. So oh well, we'll come back to it at some point. I'm sure we'll see. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that <laughs> that the alien is is grounds for water cooler talk. I think that's fantastic. That's awesome. That's because very awesome. these shows come out that are like these cultural. They become these cultural touchstones, and everyone talks about them. I don't know anybody who's talking about the show except for Alex and yeah. myself. <laughs> and so I, I just don't know if it's the kind of thing a lot of people are watching or if they just watch it and go, eh, like uh, they don't feel the need to talk about it. But uh, it's interesting. I hope I, it sounds, I mean, we've been getting a remarkable amount of feedback, I think, on this yeah. show, which is really, really exciting. And I'm glad that so many people are watching it. Yeah, I think and that the, so many people are so invested in it. Yes, the people that are watching it seem like they want to engage with it as much as they can, and that's why they're looking for podcasts and they're writing into yeah. us and they want to talk about it. So, that's are we awesome. going to do? I mean, we're obviously going to do an episode ten episode. Are we going to do one more after that as like a series wrap up? I think so. I think we okay. should. I'd, yeah, I'd like so to too. revisit things as a whole and look back on it and, and see kind of the main question I want to answer. And it looks like a lot of people were wondering from the start of the season and maybe still are thinking is in a world where there are so many more police procedurals, does the alienist still stick out Right. in in, a, in this TV form at least? So I think that'll be interesting to talk about uh, when all, yeah. all is said and done. But Agreed. Uh, we got another email from Judy. She wrote and said, Hi, guys. Firstly, in response to your comment that there are only few people listening to your podcast, I hope not. To all whom I know watch the series, I have strongly recommended your insightful and well-thought-out commentary. Although I read and could not put down the novel until I finished, I have forgotten much of it except that it was thrilling and utterly engrossing. Yes, completely agree and wish this was a 15 or 18 episode series. What a shame. Uh... Thank you for the kind words. And once again, it, I also know nobody that is talking about the alienists. So it's so. kind words. Are you sure you wrote into the right show? <laughs> uh, she goes on to say, please read the following from Wikipedia. I galloped through the sequel and kept waiting and still hoping for a third novel seen through Sarah's eyes. Inasmuch as the Angel of Darkness had a better reception than the alienist, do you not think and hope that a season two based on Angel might be made? Have you any poll or suggestions on how to encourage a season two? Or urge Carr to write a third novel. Uh, thank you so much for adding to the pleasure we get from watching The Alienist. I so enjoy listening to your discussion. Uh, she uh, listed this excerpt from the Wikipedia article for the book. It says, for his next novel, Carr brought back prin- the principles from The Alienist to solve another serial murder case in The Angel of Darkness, published in 1997. This sequel not only sold more copies than its predecessor, it received more critical acclaim. This time, the killer at the center of the hunt is a female murdering infants. The narrator f- for this adventure is Stevie Taggart, the street urchin Dr. Laszlo Chrysler saved from jail years earlier. 
When asked about the subject matter, Carr stated, you want to believe that there's one relationship in life that's beyond betrayal, a relationship that's beyond that kind of hurt, and there isn't. The simple fact is, if the mothers that we see in the press are doing this kind of stuff, then the numbers who are actually doing it are much higher. She said, thanks for your input, a major fan, Judy. Uh, well, we don't have any extra pull than anyone else with Twitter does uh, in making a season two of the show happen, but... But if we did, we'd be using it. Yeah, we certainly would. I mean, as far as I know, the things you can do are tweet at, uh, I think it's the Alienist TNT or something. There's an official show Twitter account. Uh, Get more people to watch it. Make sure it's a big hit on Netflix because I know that's where it's going to be internationally uh, next month, I believe. So... um, you know, it sounded like Caleb Carr wanted to write more books. There, there was kind. Of, he came out yes last year, two years ago, and was like, "Hey, I'm working on this, or I want to do this." Mm-hmm. So i I hope, if anything, the interest in the show maybe shows him that there are people that would like to buy into that and and want to see more. But um, I don't know, like. It's really curious to me that they were like, you know what? This is going to be one season. This is all that we're going to do. It's kind of been marketed as that limited series. And I think that's kind of, we can harken back to True Detective once again. That's how they got someone like Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson to sign on. Is like, we're going to do eight episodes and that's all we're doing. But with this show, getting people like... uh Dakota Fanning and Daniel Brule and Luke Evans, everybody who's in this, a lot of the people who are in this are pretty busy people, you know, they're pretty big names, at least Luke Evans, I think, in Hollywood and Dakota Fanning as well. So that might be how they were able to be like, we're going to do one season, maybe we'll do a second one if everyone is happy with it and there's an opportunity to do so. But I I don't know if you kind of wonder if you if you've thought about the likelihood of them doing season two uh my my metric of how this show is doing is all over the place like some weeks i feel like it's a hit and everyone's watching it some weeks it feels like no one is so i really don't know if it's doing well enough to warrant a second season but i would love to see angel of darkness adapted into a show it's uh it's I don't want to say it, it makes for an, a better adaptation than The Alienist because The Alienist feels like it was written with with it being adapted in mind. But The Angel of Darkness is so big and like and such a it introduces new characters that are really cool and it brings back some of the old ones that you love. And I mean, part of the joy of the sequel is in being familiar with a lot of the things from the first one, but you see it through someone else's eyes because you see it through Stevie's eyes. And, uh, you know, there are things like we've, like I've lamented the loss of in this season, like the chalkboard, things like that, that don't really matter in the show that matter more in the book. And those are the things that seeing those again in a sequel really gets you excited for for where it's going, but it's a lot, it's a bigger story. Um, honestly, uh, it, it's a stupid analogy, but it's Terminator and Terminator 2. I said that last yeah, week, I did. think, and that's why I said to Katrine, and it, it really is. Like, the first one's this, like, taut, lean uh, thriller that's very straightforward and, and, and easy to, to get through, but um, raises a lot of cool questions, and the second one's, like, bigger, and it's louder, and it's 
it's more epic and sprawling, but uh, the the conflict is is just as as intense, if not even more intimate. And in that way, they're weirdly similar. But as far as the new ones go, he did say that he is writing two more in this series. Now, one of them is a sequel set twenty years later. Uh, and I'm looking it up right now, but I just got hit with a congratulations. I won a I won a thousand dollars Amazon <laughs> gift card. So lucky me, I can retire. Um, so I guess I'm not going to finish up on that. But I said one was 20 years later after Angel of Darkness, and the uh, the fourth was actually going to be a prequel, which featured young Laszlo or younger right. Laszlo. Which I'm not crazy on prequels, so I don't know about all that, but. We'll see, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's all you can really do. But the fact that you've you know other people listening to it or why, why, listening to us and and watching the show like that's, I think there's certainly interest in it. But it, I don't know. Like, I guess my biggest hope here, I think the thing that people can hope for the most is that it does well internationally with Netflix. And then maybe Netflix is like, hey, we want you guys to come back and do season two, even if FX is like, or TNT is like, eh, it did okay ratings-wise. Yeah, That's I certainly feel like it'll a road. Do, I feel like it's going to do well in Europe. I feel yeah. like with, with, the, with Daniel Brühl and Luke Evans attached, um, and, and, and with, with it being shot in, uh, it was shot in Hungary, right? In Budapest, yeah. Budapest, yeah. Um, I think... I think there, it, it, the material's there for it to do well internationally. Yeah. So I hope so. Yeah. Uh, so thank you very much, Judy. We've By the got... way, speaking of Europe and, and Daniel Brühl, did you know Daniel Brühl is half Spanish? I did not. His mother is, Span- is from Spain, is Spanish. He hmm. was born in, in Barcelona, I think, and then moved to Germany when he was like two or something. Interesting. His dad is actually German as far as I recall, but... He speaks like seven languages. Yeah, of course. He's everybody, insane. every all Europeans do. <laughs> <laughs> it's a minimum of five languages. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. They pick him up on the train every day. We're just so unimpressive. Over yeah, here. I'm like, I can speak a little bit of Japanese. And, and, and some pig Latin yeah. if, if properly motivated. Uh, we're also, I'm, I'm, I actually got some feedback that just popped up as well. Uh, there was one other one from Dana. Dana wrote in, um, and wondered if there's a point in episode four when the team is coming to the restaurant from the killer more crosses the street and a tall guy deliberately bumps into him very hard. John like notes it and, and like stops for a second be like, what the hell? He was wondering if maybe that was the killer. But I went back and watched it, and it doesn't look like the killer that we've seen from even the first episode when the tongue gets thrown in the carriage or the one that we've seen in more recent episodes. And so unless he, like, changed and dressed up to go stalk them at the restaurant. But it's a it's I, I a, it's a fleeting moment, so it's possible, but I don't necessarily know that it needed to be. I think the... The thing that immediately makes me say it's probably not is he would not risk exposure unless he had to. Yeah. However, he only really operates when he feels completely in control of the situation. Yeah. Which. Who knows? He he may have felt in that moment, so he may have gotten a little thrill out of that. I don't know. It's an interesting idea. Yeah. Uh, But thank you, Dana, for writing in. Mm Mm-hmm. 
We got another from Jason here. Jason says, uh, I'm not watching the show as it comes out. I'm about two episodes behind. Just finished episode six. So I feel like I'm writing a letter to the future. You are, Jason. Uh, I'm sad to say that I've not read the book, but I plan to. And I know no one else watching. So you two are the only ones I have to quote unquote discuss the show with. So know that this pod is very much appreciated. I also didn't notice the arm the first time around. Keep up the good work and see you at the chalkboard. More solidarity. About the chalkboard or yes. the arm? Well, uh, well both. <laughs> You're not alone. And then uh, one more from Bess. She said, just found your Alienist podcast. Really appreciate your discussion of book knowledge. Thank you. I wrote a quick note to her. She also said, hooray, I'm recommending to other watchers. We've been looking for a good cast. I read the book during and am annoyed with some of the ho- of Hollywood's choices. Forever an issue. Quit padding. It's a damn good story as is. So it thank is. you, Bess. That's a lot of feedback. I, I can't wait to shake down a list at the end of things that benefited from the TV show that they changed and things that I felt suffered. Yeah, no, but, th- and that's that's a good reason for us to have a like a wrap up yeah. episode as well. So it look will. look forward to that when when it comes around. Yeah, maybe we could do. Uh, I don't want to say it because then, then it won't happen. Maybe we can have some kind of live component to it if people want to write. You in know what? If people while we're recording, if people want to come and chat with us, we could do it through Twitch or something and try yeah. to do it that way. So if I think that or YouTube, fun. either way, if you would want to be there as we discuss, it'll probably be around seven o'clock on a weekday eastern 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 daylight time uh if that's something you would like for us to do let us know and we'll try and work it out but uh yeah we've done that in the past and it was really fun yeah it ended up really really being a lot uh, really special so that that would be kind of fun to do especially because this that very well may be our final episode of this show ever so it could be it'd be fun to be fun to go out with a bang it certainly would All right, let's get on with the recap. In the teaser for this episode, John speaks at Mary's funeral. Laszlo, Sarah, and Teddy are in attendance. Laszlo stands stoically as Sarah says she's sorry, but thanks Teddy when he offers his condolences and a piece of advice that Laszlo once gave him. Quote, please forgive me for offering you the same advice you once gave me. You are not alone in your sorrow, and there is no shame in grieving those you love. As rain begins to pour, Laszlo stays to watch the grave be filled. Laszlo announces to John that their investigation is over before someone else ends up dead. John pleads with Laszlo to reconsider in a few days, but Laszlo doesn't budge, picking up a handful of dirt, kissing that hand, and throwing the dirt into the grave. Uh, yeah, this was a... It's quite a, quite a funeral scene. Like, the green that's there stood out to me because of mm-hmm. once again kind of like dc did in the last episode like that i feel like this is the most color we've seen in this in the series thus far pretty much in in kind yeah. of that one sequence um but no i thought it i thought it was very touching i thought that nice moment between teddy and laszlo was not something that i that i expected either so no that was really good uh, I agree that it really did pop visually. Uh, I feel like funeral scenes, when they happen in movies and TV, sometimes they all feel kind of samey. Yeah. And this one did feel different, partially because 
it wasn't attended by like two people, which sometimes if it's a character who didn't have a lot of friends, it's like it's almost like a little ridiculous. Yeah. Where it's like two people or there's like a mob of people. And this one, it felt just right. Like there were people there that mattered and that knew that Mary mattered. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the the exchange between him and, and Roosevelt was great. And I think that it's got to be in reference to Roosevelt's first wife who died prior to this taking place as far as uh, i recall okay. i don't think he had any children with her or maybe one of his children was from her but uh he did have a wife die at some point and he has a son die later on down the line after this book takes place uh but anyway i really love how they shot that too how the focus stayed on laszlo the entire time yes and and never to who he was speaking to roosevelt was kind of creeping up on some actual roosevelt in this episode a couple times yeah so. We may get a we may get a moment yet. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, any other thoughts on the scene? You know, Laszlo ending the investigation. I guess it's kind of something that I think I, it makes sense to me. It feels like something that he would. I feel like if there was anything Laszlo would give up an investigation for, it's the fact that people around him might end up dead. And Laszlo's stoicism is really interesting in the scene too, because he's very—he's not emotional at all. He's just very, very cold about you get, the whole thing. You get a single tear out of him, I think. Yeah, and that's about it. And that's that's Teddy's kind of line to him is that you you can grieve about this, like we will understand. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Uh, act one. The Isaacsons interviewed Doyle about Mary's murder, but they can tell he's lying about all of it. Teddy pays a visit to Burns, who's telling jokes in a bar, and Teddy scolds him, saying that a funeral he just attended is on his hands and the hands of the police force he created. But Burns turns it around on him and tells him weak leadership is at fault. John meets with Sarah, who wants to continue the investigation without Laszlo. John is hesitant, but Sarah convinces him and shows him their new headquarters in a closed-down saloon. The team decide to use the census to look up John Beecham, but ultimately realize he's listed as an enumerator for the census. Stevie followed Connor and saw where he lives in his nice life. Then he wonders why Mary is the one who's dead and promises he would have killed Connor by stabbing him in the neck if he had a chance. But Cyrus mentions you don't need to get someone in the neck to kill him. Finally, a bunch of the boys play hide and go seek in an abandoned house. And it turns out that the killer is there stalking his prey but he's scared away when the police show up to bust the children and get them out of the house. Uh, so Doyle, not knowing that Mary was a mute, I think was uh, interesting. And then he still tries to play it off. Like, well, I wasn't, I meant figured or uh, he's like, I didn't mean it literally. <laughs> she said it with her eyes. The story is so, is so bad <laughs> on yeah. every level that I can't imagine anyone would believe it. Even if they didn't know Mary. Yeah, like it's it's the most it's the most harebrained, half baked excuse that it's just oh, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, and I guess I was kind of wondering how they got to that point. We know that Cyrus is still alive and witnessed at least some of it, or he knew who was there. He knew that he must have known that it was Connor and all of that stuff. But the fact that the investigation feels so feeble is so disconcerting and, and I don't know, just it, you know, that justice is not really going to be served in that situation. At least it's not likely to be served. So 
Right. It's frustrating. It is. Yeah, it was it was hard to watch, especially the Isaacsons being like, Yeah, we know that you're lying. Like, yeah. This was this is pretty bad, even if you were telling the truth. Marcus so, even yeah. goes to like punch him or or fight with him when he insults uh Stevie and Cyrus. So it's mm-hmm. it's you know, you know they're invested in it too. Yes. But uh so Burns in the bar and Teddy's confrontation. Man, that Ted Levine, he can act, can he? <laughs> oh, he's good. Yeah. He almost gets you on his side. He's just so good. Yeah. He's so commanding. But uh there was a, there was a spark of some real Roosevelt in there in this scene, which is which is really good. And I like that I think Roosevelt is reaching a point where he's no longer going to be sort of complacent. I think he's going to actively like before you would just kind of let people get away with like bad things, but like would try to mitigate it. And now I think it's getting to the point where he's like, no, I need to weed out the, the cancer that you've strewn throughout my department. He's becoming intolerant of, of any type of incompetence, whether it's willful or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was, it was, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And, and that's the thing is that I, you can tell that Burns has been at this for years because he still, he absolutely, I think wins that confrontation even though Teddy gets a good line, like he's he's he. Uh, what does Teddy say? He says cowardice is living in the past, old man, or something like. That. Weakness is hiding in the past, weakness, old man. Is weakness. what he says, and that's very good. But I still feel like nobody around there was like, "You go, Teddy." It was all everybody was like, "Yeah, the Chief's got it." I would definitely say the Chief won until Teddy said that line, and I don't think that either of them is a winner. But I think that like basically the the battle lines have been drawn. Yeah, and I think that. Even though what Burns says does ring somewhat true that men will not respect weakness, what Roosevelt says is equally true. You're old and your time is done. Yeah. And you know, clinging to that is is real weakness. Yeah. Well, and I I think he's also kind of speaking of the fact that Burns is still operating as like a shadow chief, essentially. Like he's not really he's retired, but he's not. And the fact yeah, that Burns yeah. hasn't moved on in his life just shows that he's unable to, you know, go any further. And like he's he's reached his his limit and he's done. So, mm-hmm. uh, so then we got the team. Sarah decides to keep the investigation going. We do get an actual headquarters away from Laszlo's institute (laughs) which is good there's an establishing shot and it's on the corner of a road (laughs) (laughs) so we can actually place it somewhere but there's a crap load of windows (laughs) i know that is the weird part it's very and most of them are kind of newspapered over but there's like some weird gaps in them yeah i don't know i do i do like it because it feels strategically like a good move it's in like a more relevant part of the city it feels Mm -hmm. like and uh, it's laid out really cool. It's like an old bar. Yep. I don't know. It's sweet. It reminds me of in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 when they find their their sweet new hideout in the subway station. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like that. Absolutely. It, it's like kind of nasty, but kind of awesome at the same time. Yeah. I, I also, I really like that when they're in there and like working, there's a point where Sarah's writing on the chalkboard that terribly annoying fan is going and Marcus Mm -hmm. is bouncing the pool ball against the side of the pool table and it just kind of felt like this 
not only like uh, like are the gears churn like turning kind of thing of like they're all thinking and trying to figure things out, but also just the it builds the tension to the point where John's like, I need to go outside and take a look at thing, take a smoke break, smoke yep. a carton of cigarettes real quick, and then come back in. So I know, and he has this epiphany, <laughs> but he doesn't even have the right epiphany. <laughs> It's it's remarkable how Moore can do this. <laughs> that's that's kind of something that this episode is weird to me, and I don't know if you felt the same way, but I felt like a lot of the police work that they do in it is good, but I feel like they are bringing details in that they are taking as we've known this, but they haven't been things that they talked about in the past. Like, specifically, there's a point, like, later on in the episode, I guess, there's a point where they all come to the conclusion that all of the kids hate their parents, and their parents are all gamblers. Right. Did you feel like that was new information, or that it was something that we knew? Like, we did get little details of, like, oh, yeah, there were gambling debts and stuff like that, but I didn't. I didn't know that the kids hated their parents, you know? No, yeah, you're not wrong. It's <laughs> it's funny because if the show was adhering to the book's structure a little more, this this wouldn't be a thing. Yeah. Because they would have been intaking all this information and putting it up onto one place. Maybe some kind of writing surface. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Where they can all get eyes on it and start to draw conclusions. But just call me crazy. One of the reasons I really liked this episode was because it feels like they're doing actual police work. Yeah. Yeah. And I found that really compelling. Yes. Even if it's just shots of like, you know, more hunkering down and saying, hey, have you seen this man? Like that, that kind of stuff works. Like there's a reason that police still do that kind of stuff because it works. And (laughs) why, (laughs) why are they waiting until like, the ninth of the next murder when it's in 48 hours like oh man we should hit the streets with your doodles and see what we can figure out yeah yeah no and that's the thing i i was happy to see the police work it did feel good but it felt like they cheated a little bit well you're right they they do have a couple really like kind of stupid like uh Of course, hold on. Look at my notes. They do all hate their parents. And wait, their dads were all in over their head for gambling. Yeah. Guys, we screwed up. (laughs) Could have had this guy two months ago. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's definitely, it's kind of silly. And it it definitely, I don't, I don't know what to attribute that to, though. If it's like the lack of Laszlo being there is making them think more clearly because. That shouldn't be the case. Laszlo should be helping them move further in the investigation. Shouldn't be a hindrance. Like if Laszlo is there, is he such a dominant personality that he's controlling the narrative as he sees it and not leaving room for anybody else to look at other facts? Well, and I think his past, the the, the moment that he has with Sarah where he blows up on her <clears> about <throat> the idea that the the killer's mother would have would have been such an influence on the killer the whole look at your bird the idea that he's not he, he's not processing any new information he's just spitting out what he already knows i yeah. think that 
could set up for what you're saying like I, that all of the pieces are there for laszlo to be kind of a hindering influence on the investigation he's yeah. he seems to be he's leading it in a useful direction in the sense of like he wants to understand who the killer is and why they're doing what they're doing but i think they're at a point where they understand some of that now like they have that and all they have right now are just a bunch of facts and they got to start putting them together yeah fair enough and the fact that like i don't know if they would have done that if laszlo was around or not would laszlo still be kind of like pining after a theory about something or 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 would he be after connecting the dots about uh, Beecham and Japeth and everything after knowing all of that would Laszlo be switching into a different mode of just like alright let's look at the chalkboard what's going on here maybe perhaps yeah perhaps really he would know. say not, now is the time to look at the facts I don't know it's interesting yeah uh, I definitely see what you're saying there's there's a lot of like sort of I don't even want to call it information dump but it's like this like theory dump of fact dump <laughs> yeah yeah it's just it's a whole lot of yeah you can't even call it exposition because it's not exposition it's just kind of like i don't know i guess we didn't have it's like you said we didn't have the moment of them being like you know when you play a telltale game and it says blah 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 we'll remember this Right. We yeah. didn't get that little note of like, all right, this is a key piece of information every time these things were sprinkled throughout the show. So maybe it's right. all there. And I just feel like it's a cheat because I'm not my my memory might not be serving me as well. But it, you know, it's possible. I mean, uh, the 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 fact that <clears throat> excuse me, they didn't get along with their parents shouldn't be surprising. I mean, I think that that was, that was something that maybe is so common in like teenagers and youth that it was overlooked. Yeah. But especially in like an immigrant family in that era, dealing with that level of stress and well, uh, I guess rejection these... and prejudice. And the kids who are working the streets, <clears throat> in brothels and stuff obviously their parent their parental guidance isn't on the straight and narrow at that point yeah, I guess. exactly yeah so fair enough it's an it's an easy it'd be an easy that would be an easy thing i think for somebody to overlook but the gambling thing seems important <laughs> yeah if all these dads own gambling debts i'd uh, by the by the second or third suspect they'd be like okay maybe we should look into that more <laughs> what do you think guys <laughs> hold on i'm looking at this damn bird it's not moving <laughs> Nothing's changing. Uh, I can't remember if this is the point where Marcus... Yeah, Marcus remarks that churches and charities use the rooftops to get around the city. Yep. But I'm still kind of like, why? They still... They're just right there. <laughs> they're right at the surface. And they... they so it's the same thing with John, or uh, with Moore. When he when he goes outside and he, he watches the kids playing in like the fire hydrant, right? Yeah. And then he comes inside and he's like, what about his name? <laughs> Why take half the man's name? And he just starts like walking around, like supposing about all of it, but he doesn't think about, I mean, the breakthrough that he's looking for is the significance of the name John, but he doesn't even say that. Like he looks at the water, he looks at water and he has this moment, but he doesn't connect the dots. And I'm like, John. <laughs> 
<laughs> what are you doing, man? <laughs> He's, I don't know. It's so funny. Like the, that he, it, cause I was like, okay, good. And then like, he starts talking about, they, they never get anywhere with that in that conversation. Yeah. If I recall correctly, no, they just kind of like, they just kind of like let it linger out there. And I mean, they, they get the theory, they get it correct that he takes on the name because he becomes the tormentor and not the person who was tormented. Yeah. Correct. But they don't ever, but he even says, why John and not George? And then that's when they kind of say like, well, maybe he didn't, I don't think they say it, but the idea being, they don't want to get him confused with anybody real, but John Beecham, George Beecham, these are probably not uncommon names as even the census shows later. Yeah. So maybe that's part of the reason, but there, John is something and it's a clue that they've gotten to earlier and they've said it aloud and yet nobody got it <laughs> in this episode so it's kind of weird that it's there and it has been it has been mused about by the group collectively yeah. so do you know what I'm talking about I don't think I do I'm okay. not and I'm I don't at this point I'm not sure if I'm trying to not think about it or if it, you know just it's nothing it's nothing earth shattering that's the thing it, it we're we're there we've seen it we've talked about it so the fact that they all kind of act like like oh they, john john the baptist right right yeah okay because all of these killings take place near water yeah of some sort which is something they've talked about together <laughs> then he's like why john <laughs> like, looks off into do the i distance. know any johns <laughs> an interesting name wait that's my name <laughs> it's so goofy i'm just like why don't they, why don't they connect the dots here but anyway interesting yes the as as marcus points out churches and charity workers use rooftops and because it's easier in some of these neighborhoods to get around via rooftop because mo- pretty much every building at the time had rooftop access so if you started at the ground floor worked your way up all the floors to the roof uh, and then just cross over and then work your way back down okay that's fine. Or, you know, sometimes it was it was easier, I suppose. And to think that his occupation would in some way utilize that same prospect yeah. makes sense, especially. And they, they don't talk about this on the show, but I'm going to say it anyway, and it's something that they identify in the book, that he would be attracted to the type of work that would let him be on the rooftops. Yeah. Like, that would be something that would, you know, if he's going to move to New York City to try to, like, start a life where he can hunt people but also be gainfully employed. He's going to look for work that's going to allow him to be out and about and, and have these occasional rooftop things. And so they, they do make the connection in the book uh, that a census taker is one, of the, is one of the people that would be utilizing, that would work in these tenements, that would work in these neighborhoods that are full of these immigrants like, and use this method of, of getting around. So That makes sense. Yeah, That is the reason why that Marcus chased down that priest in the episode and... He was there, and it did. I'm glad that they came back around to it. I wasn't sure they were gonna, <laughs> truthfully. But yes, it is. It is important, and I'm glad that they. But again, they they just kind of they they don't get to the census in that way, though. No, so it's still kind of. And that's yeah. Well, that's the thing. So the priest for them, the priest wasn't a clue for them. It wasn't necessarily it. it like Marcus says it very matter of factly, so it's not like it was something he realized that particular night. Right, exactly. Yeah, he says it matter of factly, and he he doesn't even say like I don't care if it feels a little lazy, but have that moment where he turns to them and goes, "Oh my God, there there was a priest on that roof. We should have realized earlier. Like maybe that's why he's been on the roof yeah. or something. Yeah, or 
ha- have them write down on the new chalkboard like okay career involves rooftop access with a question mark that's the thing even in the book laszlo would put things on the board that had question marks like and is this an option and then he raised the question mark if it became fact that feels so weird to me that they're like <laughs> that john bringing up the name they're like oh well they sit there and have that conversation like why 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 john beecham and then after that they're like well we got a name now so let's go look in the census <laughs> It's like, yeah, they they get to the census as though like how else do you find people? And they first say police records. If he what if he has no criminal record? Well, the census. And it's like, well, what if he doesn't answer the census taker? Yeah. <laughs> like, what if he's a, what if he's a psycho and he just doesn't answer the door? <laughs> but the reveal for this is pretty cool, and it is it is true to the book. So okay, we can move on. All right, uh, there was a little bit about Stevie uh, wanting to kill Connor. Did you have any thoughts on that in particular? Um, no, he just kind of says he would do it, right? And yeah, Cyrus and Cyrus is like, is yeah, like, you don't have to cut his throat, you can cut his him leg. In the knee, and, yeah. Yeah. Uh, an artery and he'll bleed out. And then the final part of this act was the boys playing hide and seek, uh, in the Oof. abandoned house. The moment that the hand grabs the, the bed, the, like, the, uh, headboard or whatever it is of that bed is chilling. Bone chilling. <laughs> <laughs> it's yes. so good. Yeah, I I don't know what to make of that scene because I don't even know if it's real. Like it's it's the weirdest thing because like Joseph is there, right? Uh isn't Joseph the kid hiding in the closet they keep cutting to? I didn't think that was Joseph. Maybe it is. Let me take. I have a hard time telling all the kids in the show apart from each other. They all kind of they're all the same little standard urchin boy. Yeah, but I I wondered if this scene even actually happened. I don't care either way. I think it's great. But I love the way that shot happened because it was like something out of the new It from yeah. last year where it's a wide shot and the hand just comes out of the dark. I feel like other horror movies, there'd be a close-up. It'd be a, it'd be a really terrible jump scare where you'd see like a real close-up of the railing and the hand would go out of nowhere and grab the railing. <laughs> yeah. But this was so sweet how it was wide and that corner was just blacked out and the hand just came out. Shit oh, was baller. And like, it, I feel like it was something that some people could quite easily have missed in the frame like it's absolutely it's very off center it's just it's there but um no beautifully but done it, it was so beautifully done and even as we were watching nicole like as soon as that hand came out and grabbed that rail she was like ew <laughs> <laughs> so i was like all right yep yeah, they did I it right wait i can't wait to go back and rewatch this with with kim yeah and, uh and and watch her react to a lot of it. She has very big reactions to things in horror movies. Yes, she does. Which is, which is, <laughs> which is really, yeah, yeah. You saw the Conjuring with us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, when your hand was purple afterwards. Yeah, and swollen. <laughs> um, all right, I'm right here in the scene. So yeah, it cuts back and forth. That is not Joseph. That's in the not Joseph. No, okay. it was somebody else. We can so, we assume later on that Joseph is there because they're all out on the street because they get kicked out. Yeah. Okay. Either way, it's but, fine. Um. Yeah, so I suppose that maybe that's – I just don't know where that is, you know? It's not It's not Beecham's current lodging because the gang is there later. No, it seemed like it must have been just some house that the kids were inhabiting. Like, I don't know if it there. was, like, the next brothel or what. He might just be there to be grooming another – another Maybe. victim because it's not like there was a holy day that day either otherwise he would have right, killed somebody yeah. but he, no yeah he wasn't he wasn't there to kill somebody but i wonder what just what he was doing there especially during the yeah. daytime yeah <clears throat> i don't know 
I don't care. It was awesome. Like, it, it was very atmospheric. And, and the part of the reason I think maybe it didn't actually happen is because, well, the kid opens the door and suddenly he's not there. Yeah. But also the, the whole metaphor of hide and seek is mm-hmm. like, is, you know, it's a little on the nose, but it was really cool. And I love that it was cross cutting as, as they're getting closer to him. Yeah. It's cross cutting back and forth to this, and I and I was just really into it. I thought it was it was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I actually found myself holding my breath a little bit during that scene because I was like, <laughs> "Oh, this is really tight." It was this is really well done. It was. All right, on to Act Two of the show. <laughs> the group discusses John Beecham's employment with the head of the Census Bureau <clears throat> in New York, Mister Murray. Murray is initially reluctant to share information about his employees, but John lies and says Beecham's brother is involved in a land speculation scandal and they want to find him. The group confirmed Beecham's facial tick and learned he was a great employee until he was terminated due to a questionable relationship with a 12-year-old girl. After seeing his employment records, they match the handwriting to the letter sent to Mrs. Santorelli and find a place of residence to investigate. Uh, Laszlo mourns Mary alone at his house when the door and when his doorbell rings. He gets up to see who it is, but doesn't bother answering the door. The group investigate the Bank Street address to find out that Beecham was renting a room from an old woman. She liked him, and he lived there for six years, but he left in December when he lost his job as a charity worker. Coincidentally, her tabby cat went missing that day, too. The group take a look in the room that he was renting, and they notice a putrid smell. As it turns out, the tabby cat was mutilated by Beecham and left in the floorboards. Jib. Yes. Pour one out for Jib. Poor Jib. Uh, yeah, so once again, they're just finding out. I, I feel like they're fleshing out Beecham. They're just confirming things with the employment. They get the right John Beecham. They find an address for him. They go and check it out. Um, which I felt was all done pr- pretty well. And I like the fact that John, like they're trying to pull information out of this dude who employed Beecham and John's just, John sees the opportunity to be like, I can lie to him here and, and pull more out of it. Yep. Yeah. For once, John's coming in handy <laughs> and, uh, it's great. His ability to, as Laszlo put it, basically like people, people like you, Yep. <laughs> they like yep. you more than me. The the reason he brought John in is finally becoming apparent that he's able to talk his way into into situations. Yeah, he has uh, he has high speech. He has special unlocks <laughs> and dialogue. Yes, he he passes all the speech checks. That's for yes, sure. he does. Um, uh, no, go ahead. I think that the the revelation that he is the he is the actual census taker is pretty awesome. It's done really well. Yeah. Just the Sarah noticing the signature at the bottom of each page and then be like, (laughs) like, oh, but nobody, nobody bothers again to actually say it out loud. Like, oh, he's not in the census. He is the census. Like, no wonder this makes so much sense, guys. This is how he's (laughs) able to meet so many families and talk to so many kids. This is the way that he gets close to them without having to visit the brothel all the time. Right. (laughs) Am I right? But no, nobody says anything. Nope. So, which is fine. I mean, in real life, maybe that's how it would go. But like in a show, I feel like you need to have a little more conversation. Yeah. But it's fine. It's it's so creepy the way his signature like trails off. Near the oh end yeah, it, no. I it, mean, if I would have so gross. <laughs> if I would have turned in that book to my boss, they would have been like, "Oh shit, this guy's a serial killer, isn't he?" <laughs> like, there's my handwriting's bad, but it's not that creepy, and 
like no i i feel like if you if you <laughs> if somebody would have seen that even in 1896 they would have been like Hmm. Yeah, like Should the way the last guy. few letters are just falling off a cliff every time is is really scary. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I think that was really cool. I like like I said I I'm really into this kind of stuff. I like the I like that they're getting into the research now and they they finally have like some solid leads to go on. And there's a paper trail now and they're they're running into person after person after person who's like yeah, he had a weird facial spasm. And, you know, all the accounts of him are really interesting. Everyone that seems to know him is like, he's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, well, and I guess I guess maybe the thing about it is, is that this is the part of the show or these sections of the show feel very modern. And I wonder if they steered away from the more procedural feelings of the show because of the fact that procedurals are so dominant right now. Like maybe maybe they were trying to give it room to breathe from a character standpoint and a story standpoint, and then they didn't want to bog it down in the like point A to point B. Point A leads us to clue B that gives us point C, like all of that kind of stuff. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Maybe not. But I think that uh, I I see what you're saying, and I think maybe a a bit more of a balance could have been struck. Yeah. Um, I think so to too. include some of that because it's it is stuff that's fun to watch. Yeah, and uh, but part of the reason it is so fun to watch right now is because it's so satisfying that we finally have light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, and suddenly it is like those moments I described in the book where they are suddenly recharged and like here we go. Yeah, like we've got we've got some some evidence. We've got something to sink our teeth into. Let's chase it down until it is exhausted yeah like it feels like they're at a point where they need that police work in order to connect the final dots and so it makes sense logically here but there certainly (laughs) feel it feels like there could have been more earlier on i totally agree Um, which this this is the kind of stuff that Moore spends a lot of time doing in the book he's kind of the one because of his 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 occupation and his connections He's kind of the one that spends time walking around and, and talking to people and doing interviews while the Isaacsons would be doing the things they have been doing in the show, like the more forensic science type stuff. And yeah. Sarah's chilling at headquarters, talking to Roosevelt and that kind of thing. Requesting information from insane asylums because she's in an authority to do that, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Exactly. Yeah. No, that makes sense. But you Plus, know. It's, it's fun in the book when Moore gets like, he just gets irritated with having to like... <laughs> spend the seventh day in a row just knocking on doors and like <laughs> it's it's I, that's something i would have really enjoyed watching luke evans play with like they get to the headquarters at the end of the day and he just like collapses on the couch and he's like there's like a, i swear there's a moment where he's like rubbing his feet and he's like i am not gonna walk around this damn city one <laughs> another day and Lazlo's just kind of like that's your job <laughs> even you just yeah like i feel like they do a montage in this episode of them shopping the <clears throat> the drawing around but i just wonder i feel like earlier in the series there would have been an opportunity for some humor of him just repeatedly going to doors and getting them slammed on him and mm-hmm. stuff like that so but yeah, yeah there's no room for humor anymore that's no, for sure no um they match the handwriting. What do you think? Okay, so Laszlo being alone at his house and mourning Mary obviously makes sense. Who do you think was at the door? I don't know. I thought for a second it was Moore coming to check on him. Yeah, but I couldn't. I couldn't tell from the outline of of the man. Part of me wondered if it was Moore. Part of me wondered if it was Teddy. And then 
I also looking at it was like that kind of looks like Doyle too. It could have yeah, it could have been those guys coming back to yeah. to check on him, but I think that the, in their minds they're probably going to think like, "Oh, all right, mission rece- or message received. Yeah. He's not he's not going to do anything any further." <clears throat> but it did kind of look like it could be Teddy. Also, I don't know. I think if it was more, we probably would have seen him on the other side of the door. Yeah. It would have been like a, that middle that middle section of every rom com where the couple breaks up and then they're they want they want to or like the middle of Pineapple Express where they want to apologize to each other but they just can't. <laughs> Absolutely. And every 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 good comedy and every good bromance has that moment. Yep. That's kind of where they're at now, even though they're not mad at each other. Yep. They'll reunite. Yes, they will. Uh, and then the apartment that. Uh that John Beecham was you know I was unreasonably excited for this scene and I'm not sure why because (laughs) it's so it's so great in the book and the the show did it perfectly it was uh it was really good (laughs) yeah it's it's a big moment in the book like when when they finally are like here's it because Murray the census guy if I recall correctly in the book I I think they get to the census because they think he was a census taker I think I think they actually come up with that theory, but I could be wrong. Like I said, that my memory actually like of the book actually diminishes the later into the book it gets because I just start reading it in such a frenzy. Yeah. But I believe that they do come to him and say like, "Did you employ a man named Beecham?" And he's kind of like, "Yeah." And they're like, "Why?" And the land speculation is the line that Moore uses for sure. Hmm. So that is from the book. And the guy's kind of like, "Oh, that's too bad." But then he 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 does can say similar things about Beecham that he was a good employee, and he's like. I think he even says that he liked him because he kept to himself. He was like a private guy. He was yeah. quiet. He just did good work. And and uh, but I I like in the show that he says he was he was religious. And uh, he, he uses three words to describe him in the episode, and I can't remember what they are now except for religious. He but says that, polite, religious, and scrupulous. Yes, exactly. Which is hilarious on all three accounts. Yeah. And but it's 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 just great because it goes to show you that these these killers can't always be identified like immediately and everyone seems to know to know the facial spasm though except the boys the boys are the ones who haven't seen it because as we talked about yeah with what uh adam said dury uh that when he when he was hunting and, and trapping he his spasm was not present yeah because he's calm when mm-hmm. he's hunting so I think that it's really awesome that the best clue they have to go on is the one thing that the boys are not going to see coming. Yeah. Which is really awesome. Yeah. It's a cool cool uh, dynamic. But anyway, uh, yeah, the old lady, again, she has similar things to say. She really likes him. Moore's conversation with her is just the bomb. And <laughs> I think that all his time spent with Graham is just like perfect training for him to talk to <laughs> talk to sweet little old ladies. Older women, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's really, really hilarious. Beautiful. And uh, his his... I don't know who this more is where he suddenly is so <laughs> so aware that he's able to really navigate this conversation in such a clever way yeah. and just quickly get even more out of it than cuz like I think a lot of us would just be would be a little more blunt with our questions and maybe not think to stretch the truth in a certain direction but yep. he does in a way that allows him to establish a lot by saying less and it's uh it's very good yeah it's great stuff yeah no it's a it's a skill that works well with luke evans wielding it for sure oh yeah definitely uh, uh and the the 
I love that she says that he was not a friend of the cats. <laughs> yeah. And then you you find Jib under the floorboards <laughs> like that. Yeah, you know, it uh it hasn't been a good day for cats on TV or a good weekend for cats on TV in my house cuz I just watched uh The Shape of Water and there's a cat that gets uh gets torn into in that as well. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I still haven't watched that yet. Poor, poor Nicole. Aside, what'd you think? Did you like it? I liked it quite a bit. I liked uh, it. I figured you would. Yeah, I want to watch it. But uh, no, poor, poor Nicole, who <laughs> loves cats m- more than any other human in the world, uh, <laughs> has had to endure some horrors. Yeah, but, I think it's even grosser in the book. If I recall correctly, in the book, he's he the corpse of him is actually under the mattress. Uh, I think it's like right there. It's or it's or it's under like a couch or something or a chair. He's not I don't think he's under the floorboards. Maybe he is, but I feel like he's in some piece of furniture somewhere. Yeah, I was I was like how could this old woman not know that That's smell that's a really death, funny part but... too in the book cuz they they open the door to the room and they're all like, "Whoa!" <laughs> <laughs> like the smell. <clears throat> and she's like, "Yeah." I don't know what that is. And she's kind of like, you know, <laughs> whatever and just like let's I'm I'm trying to figure it out, but I can't quite get it. So get aloof. Smell. Yeah, I think she's like, I keep washing the the sheets, but it's not doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's pretty much it in Act Two. There is a scene where Laszlo is looking around uh, Mary's Mary's room, and he finds the vitascope ticket. Yeah, but, that's got to be a bittersweet moment for him. Yeah. Actually, no, just bitter. Yeah, just the fact that he got so angry with her. I think that and and the the stub. I mean, she saved it. It was on her dresser. Yeah, like that clearly it was like a big experience for her, and I'm sure he's feeling some remorse over not letting her get out and like live her life more. Yeah, and see more of what the world had to offer. Yeah, I mean, back in those days, that kind of that would be a spectacle to anybody, but to her, it was like this earth shattering thing. Like, Oh my God, like Moore had probably seen a few of those and he was kind of like, eh, yeah, this will be fun. He was, he was more amused at her reaction to it all. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Moore is the OG, uh, guy who loves watching movies with other people Yep. to see how they'll react, For which sure. I totally, totally understand. <laughs> Me too. All right. Uh, on to act three, Connor threatens Sarah <laughs> as she closes up the new headquarters at night. John meets with Joseph where the boys are all out on the street since they got thrown out of their building by the police. And John pleads with Joseph to keep him off the streets and hands him a lot of money to find a place to live. It also turns out that Beecham is standing outside on top of a roof opposite of where all the boys are are staying. Uh, Connor takes a break from unsuccessfully having sex with his wife to use the outhouse when Sarah sneaks up to knife him. But he reconsiders when Connor's kid comes out to the yard as well. Laszlo calls for Cyrus, but Stevie responds, irking Laszlo. He's steeped in thoughts of Mary and can't escape his grief. Uh, yeah, so Connor, Connor's just a total shithead, man. <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah. Like, even the joke that he throws at his kid about finding his tiny pecker or whatever he says to him, <laughs> it's just like, God, he's not nice to anyone in his life. Yeah, why are you such an <laughs> asshole? Yeah. No, it's true. Connor's uh he's not a he's not a peach. Nope. Although it it does it's important I think to note that now he knows where their headquarters is. Yes. So he's he's been watching them or somebody has. Yeah, everybody's tailing them. So mm-hmm. there's certainly still people to discourage from investigating on his end. 
Um, John and Joseph was good stuff. I don't know that there's a whole lot to say about it. No, it's. I think it's. It's pretty. I mean, that's very true to the book that he really he takes a particular liking to him, and he's like yeah. giving him money and stuff to say like, "You need to get out of here." I guess the only thing about this particular, I guess it's the whole episode with Joseph is seeing that he has not connected with John the way that John has connected with him. Like, I think he takes that money and is like, oh, I'm going to go have fun with this. It's not like a, I'm yeah, actually going to use it for what John anticipates. Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't think he, it's not that he hasn't connected with him. I think he, like, really trusts him and he likes him. Because they have that funny moment where he's like, what if I was the killer, Joseph? And he, like, laughs. He's like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think he does like him and he considers him a friend. Yeah. But I think that he doesn't. He doesn't think he's in as much danger as he is, which yeah. is he's he's a kid. Like he can't really think as clearly and reason as well as an adult would. Yeah, that makes sense. Um and then Cyrus about to kill Connor. Did you think yeah, he was gonna do it? No. I I thought he wouldn't though, because Cyrus would realize like that's not the way. Yeah, like he, I, I would think that Cyrus would, you know, I'm pretty sure he took some sort of vow to never kill anybody again, and I think even in the pursuit of vengeance for Mary, that that wouldn't be the way to do it. It's not the true justice yeah. he deserves. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think Mary would approve of it either. Yeah, but, um, but no, I liked that it was his little kid. So well, I know. I'm, I'm, I guess I guess maybe on that trait too, the idea that Laszlo's theory about Cyrus was that. Cyrus saw his wife killed so brutally that it caused him to murder a man. Maybe his feelings subconsciously were true for for Connor as well. Like he didn't want to do that to Connor's kid. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I think that the the being interrupted is and the being caught because he could do it without being caught. Yeah, presumably um, was one thing, but yeah, realizing that. He may be terrible, but he is still somebody's dad. Yeah. Somebody depends on him. Yep. As gross as that is. <laughs> um, what's funny about the kid, so the alien, the official alienist Twitter account has the strangest activity. They seem to only tweet and retweet like on nights that the show airs, Yeah, which is fine. But then like the, the kids who play some of the kids in this series have like twitter accounts and they've been like posting like some bts photos and that and the alienist twitter keeps retweeting them <laughs> and i think it's re- i think it's really funny that they're only retweeting the kids on the show <laughs> or at least as far as i'm seeing they may be retweeting like more from like the adult stars but all i've been really noticing are the ones with the kids and i'm like this is either the best like in joke that the kids are the ones being put out there or i'm just not paying attention on the right days yeah yeah but there's, anyway there's one here from art burnett yeah, the kid. Um, he plays. Kid. He plays uh, Connor's kid. He says, "Me and my dad, David Wilmot. Thanks for the help and guidance." <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah, Captain Connor with the help and guidance. Yes, but then like they're only retweeting the children, which is really kind of dark, <laughs> kind of hilarious. <laughs> I'm sure they've retweeted Luke Evans once or twice, but anyway, I just thought that was funny because I also saw the kid who plays Jacob got uh, or Joseph got retweeted. Yeah, um, yep. like last week or something. Anyway. Yep. I just thought that was funny. No, that is pretty good. Uh, 
And I, I don't know, Laszlo's grief about Mary. I don't know if you had anything in particular to say about that once again. But Is we, this the scene where he breaks the glass? Not yet. We're okming okay. to that. So what does he do in this scene? This is just where he's like remembering her oh, and their yeah, moments yeah, yeah, yeah. together. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, you know, when she's like put in the ground and everything, it's you as if you were kind of like, well, that's that. Yeah. But then, but then you, to see her face again so suddenly after it all happened is really, uh, really striking and really extra sad. It just adds another layer on it. Yeah. To think like, Ugh, it's like looking at a picture of somebody who, who has passed away or, you know, even after like a really hard breakup, you know, you look back at a photo of somebody and it just like brings it all back. Yep. And I, I you know, grieving in this era where everything is captured with cameras and videos, like I, I truthfully, I do not know to this day if that is more helpful in grief or only it makes it harder. Yeah. I mean, I think I've always been of the mind of like, Typically, in terms of breakups, I'm kind of the person that's like, I need to archive these photos that I have with my significant other because I will appreciate them someday, but I do need to get them out of my sight when I'm actually trying to move on, you know? Mm. So I think the idea that, like, Facebook is telling you, hey, guess what happened three years ago today, you know? It was this great day with your ex-girl or something like that. It's It's... It can be pretty horrible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, traditionally, I was, I was always more of a just, like, scorched earth uh, breakup person. Like, just destroy all the files and, yeah. uh, you know, Watergate this situation. <laughs> but I think that's the I, smarter way to go. But I think La- Laszlo, I mean, when he, later when he's looking at that photo of his, of his grandpa or his dad, whoever he's talking to. Yeah. I think it's his dad. I think it's his dad. Um, he... You know, to think that that would be an age where you had like a picture of somebody <laughs> and like here, here it is. <laughs> that's you know the I mean? like, that's the only only you don't even remember what they look like yourself. You just have that picture of them. Yeah, it, I, I can't. I I could I can never put myself in that position because it's not the world we live in. But yeah, I, I gotta I gotta imagine that. While it might make grieving easier in a way, it makes remembering later on down the road a lot harder because mm-hmm. now I can go back and watch watch videos of you know people that have passed on and you can see them, you can hear them and remember them as they were. And I guess a lot of it is is up to the individual too. You know, for some some people they have a hard time grieving and yeah. and even even starting the grieving process, even acknowledging that they need to to let it go. Like some people just refuse to let certain deaths go. I mean, man, people get their pets taxidermied and shit. Like, <laughs> I apologize to anyone out there who has taxidermied one of their one of their furry friends, but you know, you just gotta let some stuff go sometimes. Yeah. yeah. All right. It's actually, really on that subject, I started watching Altered Carbon. And oh I, yeah. Uh, I'm a little under the weather right now. If it's not somewhat apparent from my voice, and watching that show while you are on medication and <laughs> really tired and with a with a fever and a, and a headache is is not necessarily the best, but I won't say it made the experience terrible. But anyway, have you watched it? Not yet, <clears throat> not yet. I would like to. I really, really like it so far, but I have a weird soft spot for Joel Kinnaman. Yeah, uh, and uh, the thing, uh, the show aesthetically is totally up. It's so f- up my alley that it's it's knocking on my window right now. Yeah, and. It's uh, it's just so good. 
in, in a lot of ways. But one of the really interesting things is this idea that you can transfer your consciousness from body to body. And they do a great job in the show talking about all of the potential, <coughs> excuse me, side effects and stuff that could occur. They do, they do. I think Inception, the Nolan movie, does a really admirable job of covering its bases yeah. in ways that it'd be hard to argue against the logic of it. And in this show, they do something very similar, which I think is impressive. But they talk about how there, there is actually a religious faction in the world that feels like when people die, they are supposed to stay dead, and that's that. And you are not supposed to come back in any form or, or you know, it's just unnatural. And I think that's really interesting. And it made it actually made me think of this show because I was thinking about this exact thing of just like the grieving process and how in that show one may never need to grieve. And is that is that okay? Yeah. You know? Is is that really that, a world you want to live in? Deletion <clears throat> of that part of the human condition. Like what is that right. what effect does that have on us as people? Yeah, like Freddie Mercury says, who wants to live forever? Yeah. yeah. All right, let's move on to uh, Act 4 here. The Isaacsons meet with the formerly 12-year-old girl that Beecham had an unusual friendship with. She's now an English teacher, and they liked each other and mostly talked about how she hated her parents and she felt like he needed a friend. The group spends several days with an illustration of the killer made by John trying to find anyone that knows anything about him to no avail. We also see Beecham getting prepared for his next kill on the 11th. Laszlo sits alone looking at a photo of him and his parents. He speaks in German to the photo, saying his father was right and that he is a little impersonator. After drinking the drink that he has, he smashes the glass on the table and stabs his crippled arm with the stem of the glass. The group put their heads together once again and realized they all, 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 <laughs> all the victims hated their parents and a lot of their fathers were gamblers. So they head to a cockfighting establishment to find that Beecham was a quote-unquote collector for the person who runs the joint. Marcus and John then ask about Beecham at a local bar, and after some monetary persuasion, the bartender offers up Beecham's current address, but remarks that, that he's not a man they'll want to cross. Uh, so the 12-year-old girl that Beecham had a strange relationship with, is that from the book? Uh the reason he got fired is, but she does not come back as an adult character. Okay. To my knowledge, unless it's very brief. Ooh. Yeah. It, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just thought that she's a very interesting character. Once again, as you said, everybody's got high praise for him. The fact that it wasn't... Uh, I think any one of us would have expected her to be like oh you know he said he was gonna marry me or something like you know it could have been something creepy like that when in fact it was mostly just i don't know at least at this point platonic i guess Mm -hmm. i thought that was interesting an interesting subversion of my expectations at least i thought it was going to be something creepier than that but I, i guess i just don't know at that point if he was murdering people yet or not yeah that's the question i think and uh there is something to that effect later in this episode i think we kind of talk about the timeline Uh, okay but now i don't remember what it is so maybe not no there was something that kind of i thought about it too i guess it's the fact that uh when they're at the old lady's apartment she he had been living with her for six years and he left her in December, and that's when he mutilated the cat. Mm-hmm. 
And at least right. in my and, mind, that's when I was like, was that him snapping and being like, all right, this is time to kill people. But, no, because that was that was the most recent December, and he had already oh, killed the, the Zweig children. Yeah, the Zweig children, I guess, was like two or three years before that, I think, or before present yeah. day. So, so I yeah, I don't know. The, I guess the timeline's a little hazy. But anyway, the girl was probably, she was 12 at the time. How old is she now? Like I think 20? 18. Okay. I think she was 18, because I think they said she was 12... In 1890, when he did the census, because the census is every 10 years. Okay, yeah. And so, in 1896, she'd be 18 years old. Yeah. Okay. So, it was. It may have been right when he moved to New York. Yeah. He may have gotten the job. And like the guy said, he was hired, he hired 900 men. Yeah. So, the, the clearly the hiring was, was, was going on then. So, yeah, I guess the timeline adds up. He moves in with that old lady. And, uh, you know, this might be one of the first people he made a connection with, but then he was not able to, you know, capitalize on it. Or, or maybe he didn't know yet what he wanted to do with uh, with these kids that he meets. Yeah. yeah maybe, maybe he just found that he could relate to these children, at least. Yeah. Better than adults. Yeah. Um, I forgot the... to talk about his Batman shot on the roof. Yes. Yeah. It was awesome. It was very awesome. I really liked that. And that was... I was just going to say, that was one of the things that confirms his appearance to me. The fact that he's got this, like... I don't know if it's like a... It's not a beret, but it's like a... Almost like a golf hat or something like that that he's wearing. And then like a very high-collared jacket, too. Yeah, he looks like a longshoreman, kind of. Yeah. He's got like the Dick Van Dyke from Mary Poppins hat. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he looks like a dock worker. Yeah, or at least my mental image of a dock worker. <laughs> He's not the Gordon's fisherman from I know you did last summer, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, he's got the uh, he's got the Ted Levine costume from the made-for-TV Moby Dick that he starred in alongside Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Google that, and you will see. <laughs> That's a deep pull. <laughs> not as good as the Iris music video, but. <laughs> What are you going to do? Yeah, well. Or my Gary Oldman is Dracula for, uh, for Laszlo, <laughs> which I actually Googled while we were talking, and it's really good. I'm going to send it to you. Good. <laughs> um, any other thoughts on that Batman shot? No, I just like, uh, that was so cinematic. It was awesome. Yeah. Like, it just looked, it looked so good. Mm-hmm. And uh, just the way it pulled back and just revealed him, like, it, I, I call it the Batman shot, not just in the way of the way it's framed, but. Batman's up there for a reason, so he can like see the whole city, yeah. and he can like be anywhere. Except he wants to be there for good, so he can go help people. And this guy is up there, so he can survey it all, yeah, so he can find someone to, to strike a victim. Huh? Yeah, yeah, he's like a hawk up there, just like keeping an eye on who he can attack. It's uh, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah that was really neat. I'm really glad we're getting to see more of him. Mm-hmm. I wish. I wish we had seen his face in this episode. I was really thinking the last shot we'd see his face. I thought so too. I, I, I was very sure of it. And when I they didn't, so I was too. like, ah, we're yeah. only gonna see him. I was the like, last man, episode. they're really they're really holding on to it. That sucks. Um What did you think of the shots of him like climbing the wall in his like apartment naked? <laughs> like working out? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh they were awesome. Like it was uh <laughs> It was so creepy and so effective because, like, 
I what I really liked about it, and because it wasn't just first of all, he's doing he's doing workouts on like meat hooks, which is crazy, <laughs> and and such a cool detail from the art department. Yeah. But he's doing like these crazy upper body exercises, which is really neat because climbers in real life, like people who really like rock climb professionally or competitively, they have they can do the most insane shit with their upper bodies. Yeah. Like, their grip strength and their 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 fingers and their forearms, the way they're able to hold on and keep this incredible composure while they're like looking around. They're like hanging on there. They're like looking around like, where do I go next? And they like move so slowly and deliberately that watching him kind of, because he did like this one shot where he like lifted himself up and he was like totally like parallel to the ground yeah. and like twisted his body. I was like, oh, whoa, this is really cool. <laughs> like we haven't had, I feel like I haven't seen a, a, another piece of fiction like this where the killer is the, is quite this fit to that degree of like specificity yeah so it's it's pretty cool to even think that like a period era rock climber would be that like that that skill would be so similar to how it is today and i don't see any reason why it wouldn't be other than just like as with all natural sports and recreation activities in the last hundred years they've all come a tremendous way in terms of training and technique but to think that the the power that your body would possess would be would be the same is is something I hadn't considered previously. Yeah, yeah. Well, and yeah, as you said last episode, I think the idea that there's this <clears throat> burly man in the 1890s, you know, when there aren't people that are bodybuilding for activities and stuff like that, like that, that's probably one of the few ways. I don't know. Like, I guess there's a lot of skilled trades in that day that would have required some muscle. And if you do them every day, then you're probably building up something. But the fact that he is specifically trained to do that because he enjoys climbing, I think is, it's very interesting. Yeah. And I think an important distinction, the reason that I would not want him to appear like too insanely shredded is just because the dietary and lifestyle options did not exist back then to get in that kind of condition not enough for sick gains in 1896 correct yes the the gains would be at a at a natural amount yes um maybe not so sick one thing i forgot i think i forgot to mention in in the last week's episode or maybe even two weeks ago when the former captain of his in the army when they're interviewing him yeah if I recall, he does not say that Beecham used to leave on his off days. Did he go? I think, he went climbing. I think he did actually. He did. Okay. Or uh, I, I, now that I'm saying it out loud, I feel like maybe I did say it. But at any point, that that's a point in the book that they they talk about is on his off days. He, uh, I forget what they're called. There's a there's a specific term for that. It's his anyway. like his leave or something. I don't know. Yeah. He, he he goes rock climbing. It's part of the reason he is stationed out west is because there's some insane rock climbing out there. Yeah. And he used to go do that. And I think that that kind of is in line with his profile of being somewhat antisocial as well, is that he doesn't hang out with the rest of his soldiers on his, uh, his days to himself. He just leaves and goes backpacking and climbing for like three days and then comes back. Yeah. Yeah, that makes <clears> sense. <throat> um... I guess the only other thing I was going to say is that I feel like I'm used to serial killers being schlubbier. I don't know if it's just, uh, what's his name from True Detective sticking out in my mind, but... Don't say anything else, because we got (laughs) listeners who are going to watch it. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's fair. But, you know, just the, the idea that he would be fit, physically fit, is 
and not just imposing i think is something that's right i think sometimes we get the when people think of killers sometimes uh, there are so many different things you could think but i feel like one thing that's come around lately is just like kind of big fat gross dudes yep and not somebody who might be like sort of appealing in a way. I mean, like I think that was the, one of the big things with Dahmer is they said like he was a really charming guy, like mm-hmm. a really likable dude, and like an attractive guy that women were really into. And then look what a psycho he ended up being. Yeah. And I think that's it. That is part of what's compelling, and especially in this period era piece, is that this guy is somebody who, in a time when everyone is largely disgusted by everyone. There's someone who they all think like, Oh, he's a, he's polite and he's religious and he's scrupulous. Like what a nice man. How rare these days. And Oh, sorry. He's got this. Everybody, everybody, like I think everyone has used the same phrase in saying that he's got an unfortunate appearance or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Where even they even like they think he's such a good dude that they like let it go. They don't define him that way. That's like the that's like the second thing they say about him. Yeah, they talk about like his character first. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, he did have this thing where his whole face would seize up. But you know, <laughs> well, and it's it's the way that they say it too. It's just kind of like, oh yeah, it's a shame that he looks that way because he is such a great guy. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's funny. I know, and maybe there were people were just a little more polite to strangers back then, but I'm yeah. not really sure what to attribute that to. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. he's uh, Beecham's. A, he's an interesting character. We're uh, we're about to get a whole lot more. Yeah. Uh, Laszlo with the photo and the, and the stabbing of the arm. That was sad. It was very sad. It was very sad. He called. Oh, the scene where he—he he was playing the piano earlier, right? That yeah, was, that yeah. was when he was remembering Mary. Okay. Yeah, I skipped. Yeah, over he's that. calling for Cyrus probably because he wants to play a duet or something, or he wants Cyrus to play for him. And yeah. He's out with his little pocket knife. Um. Okay. Yeah, this was. Uh, so my grandparents, my dad's parents, they have this hallway in their house. Um, it's a really long hall. Their house is really interesting the way it's laid out. They have this one really long hallway that the bedrooms are off of in the bathroom. And it, the, the one entire wall, the left wall, is, is just a continuous wall down the entire hallway. And it's just covered in old family photos. And I'm talking like like their parents and their grandparents and, you know, like my dad and like his brother's wedding photos and stuff like that. So there's stuff from like as recent as like the, the most recent one is probably from like the 90s. But um, they go back to like this era where it's like where people had to where people were staged together for a photo and they all had to stand there, you know, for a minute and wait for the for the film. <laughs> I mean, if I if I asked my grandma what the oldest one she had up there was, I would not be surprised at all if it was like 1890s. Yeah, like she's very into that kind of stuff. And she's really into like into history and family history and those kind of photos. Uh, but this reminded me a lot of that and every time i go to their house and i i always i mean in the in the 32 years that i've been going there and throughout my life i always stop and walk down that hallway and look at those photos and even though i've seen them my entire life i always have to look at them because they're so interesting and what's so funny is i have i just looked at my dropbox account the other day i have 22,000 photos of my own <laughs> in my dropbox and I couldn't tell you what 10 of them are necessarily <laughs> right now. But I, I can vividly picture almost every picture in that hallway. And I don't know if it's just 
the setting and the fact that it's a little more special because it's not they're not mine or because I don't really know the people in them, but I know that they each had a full life that I will never know, and it only exists in that one picture from you know 1910 or whatever. There's something fascinating about that and really beautiful, but I feel like watching Laszlo stare at this picture and talking to his dad, I just, for some reason, it just like immediately made me think of like my grandparents like looking at those photos and thinking like, you know, they only have pictures of their loved ones. They don't have videos. Yeah. I think there's one home video from when I was like two years old that my great grandpa, my grandma's dad was alive for and in. And even then I think he's barely featured in it, but you know, even that is lucky that he was around for that. Yeah, for but sure. But it's just so, it's so sad and so beautiful that, like, this is the only way someone could really communicate with someone else. And now I see why, like, those those pictures are are so precious and why, you know, one of the first things people go for when they have, like, a fire in their house is, like, the photo albums because yeah. something you never get back, if that's all you have anyway, are the hard copies. So there's just a personal little something that that scene really struck in me that I was, like, I feel like, this is people in my family like looking at these photos and having this conversation and i would hope that you don't look at those old pictures of your parents or whatever and feel like regret like laszlo seems to in this scene or just like nothing but sadness and like disappointment in himself yeah i guess that's that's kind of what i wanted to touch on was the idea that he's kind of uh given his dad that you told you told me so moment of you know all i was ever going to be is a little impersonator it kind of like thinking about it right now recontextualizing it all i'm just kind of like is laszlo angry because he doesn't feel the sadness about mary (laughs) that's interesting i don't think so like it's the 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 situation of it all like what do you what do you think that means like what in what context is laszlo's father telling him that he's always you're just gonna be an impersonator i think that you are i think that you're right i mean i think you're on to something there that the idea is that laszlo is so he's just in such a different place socially than everybody else that he will he will only be able to play at the idea of being a regular person well and i guess i guess what just hit me is that maybe he's saying with the death of the only person who was pulling him into normalcy he will now always be an impersonator he will never be you know, I think I think that's more what it is. That makes sense. That, I think he does genuinely love Mary, and he he will always mourn her. But you know, I don't I don't think you're you're necessarily wrong though. I think maybe his he may be experiencing an inability to really mourn in the way that we all would, because and we haven't seen him we haven't seen him really cry. He's no. just kind of been like walking around and having these moments. Like he's driven to stab himself because he wants to feel some pain <clears throat> over it. And he hasn't necessarily, or you know, something of that. Although he stabs his bad arm, yeah, which made me, which made me wonder: does he not have like sensation in that arm? Yeah, I don't know. Like, is he, is he, is that arm essentially him in this moment where it doesn't feel anything, and he's like attacking it, saying like, "Why won't you feel?" Yeah, maybe. Why, why, why are you rather? Than That's his you... his actual physical manifestation of not feeling the pain. 
almost as though like you know maybe my arm is not a piece of me but maybe i am an extension of it like i am just this whole walking man who doesn't feel anything yeah no okay sure i i wonder who else is in the picture though is it just him his dad I, and his mom i think so i think that's the the case at least from what i saw or what again i i love that he's speaking german to yeah. the picture i think that's so beautiful i just love the inclusion of other languages in this show absolutely yeah it, it would be so easy just to have him speaking english but it just add it adds this extra layer of sadness to it mm-hmm. just this this extra little extra little bit of of just this is the only way he could communicate to his parents apparently was just through through german and not english yeah well, it's also it's it's pretty cool to note that he does attempt to play the piano again in this episode. Yeah, this yeah. Is the first and time we've seen him do it. He's he does okay with it one handed, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. But uh, and then the group realizing that the parents, uh, all the kids hated their parents and their fathers were gamblers. This was a little, as I said earlier, kind of what what irked me in terms of their investigation like that is there only one cockfighting ring in the city (laughs) probably not (laughs) and why did they end up at the bar that they ended up at i guess maybe it was in the bar and like the bar was in the area of the cockfighting place and that maybe they assumed that beecham would have frequented it or something of that sort but yeah, I don't, I, it, maybe it's just in that particular neck of the woods. I don't know. Yeah, but if it felt a little, felt a little happenstance to me. Any specific thoughts about the bartender or the cockfighting? Not really. Proprietor. I, I think it's. Uh, I think his warning to them is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. They're definitely. Not. They're definitely building Beecham up to be a pretty formidable opponent for sure like even 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 if you catch him are you going to be able to catch him you know yeah is he going to go down easily you know he go you got me officers probably not no no and especially with the fact that the police aren't behind them exactly like moore said (laughs) earlier (laughs) yeah chicken moore saying (laughs) She would feel a lot better if there were some roundsmen here. <laughs> and he's too, he's too, he's too dopey to understand that they would just kill him. Yep. <laughs> like Sarah even says, "Yes, so they shoot you in the back." Yep. All right, <coughs> and I think it's time for the final act. Uh, this is maybe the most hazy part of the episode for me, as I was taking my notes. So I apologize if I miss anything. If you think I did, please let me know. But. The group head into Beecham's apartment and confirm it's his when they find a dried heart as well as a jar full of eyeballs. Joseph is at the community pool at closing time when his friend mentions that he's supposed to meet someone and heads back to the pool. When Joseph realizes that the money John gave him is gone, he realizes it was his friend who took the money. He heads back in and ends up witnessing the murder of his friend. And although it appears he may get away from the killer, the door that he's hiding under opens at the last second. Uh, that glosses over all of the detail of them looking through the apartment and connecting more dots and finding, you know, details about Beecham and just the, uh, 
place that he lives and, and things like that. So I, what did, what did you what did you think? Were you like a kid in a candy store for this scene? Uh, yeah, all I can think right now though is when you said more dots, all I could think of was a box of dots with more space on them. <laughs> <laughs> all right. With like a bubble that says like I couldn't connect these. <laughs> <or something. laughs> I couldn't possibly connect all these dots. Oh man, I hate dots. By the way, Me too. they're the worst movie theater candy, and I have yep. a friend who loves them. And I always get into arguments with him about it. And his his stance all the time is the same. He always goes, "No, no, no, no! You got to go for the boxes in the back. You got to feel them <laughs> to feel if they're soft inside." He's like, "There's nothing like a box of good dots." And I was like, "Yes, because they're not real. <laughs> because all dots were made in like 1980, and they're just out there in circulation. And they uh, just put them back in the same box and then sell them back to you." Yep. Know? Yep. Anyway, no. Yeah. Nicole's favorite movie candy is dots as well, and I have the Get exact same the exact same arguments with her as well. <laughs> That's amazing. I can't wait to ask her about that. <laughs> dots. Yeah. I don't know, man. Uh, I don't okay. know. It's like my dad loves good and plenties, and I can't for the life no, of me understand no. that Why does licorice exist except for like Twizzlers? But anyway, we're getting way yeah. off track. We're yes, considering we're talking about like the most horrible scene in the whole series so far. <laughs> Good and plenties and dots, right in. How do you feel about these two abhorrent candies? Yes. Um, yes, I did love this scene. It was very cool because there's a moment in the book again where it's like the fuse has been lit and we're like we're we're chasing it now and we're we're getting down to the to the moment now where it's all gonna it's all gonna come together. Um. You know, uh, having every time I read it, I have a, a pretty clear mental picture of what Beecham's actual like hideout looks like, and the show did a great job of realizing my vision. So that's cool. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad they did. It uh, it was really, really just like ripped right out of my mind. So that was actually really, really phenomenal yeah. to see. I was I was really surprised and, and delighted. I love his calendar and how he just is keeping all track of everything on there. It's really, really scary. The dried heart. Yes. I, I can't <laughs> remember. I actually can't remember who the heart belongs to, but it's somebody really important. Uh, that would have been Sally in the show. At least that's the only one that we have noted <sighs> has had a heart removed. So Maybe far. so. I feel feel like it's from one of his earliest victims though hmm. somebody before ah man i don't remember well but i guess yeah if he's keeping it we don't know if he just like ate the heart sally's heart who knows yeah this one i feel this like one's it a belongs... memento of some kind exactly yeah i feel like this one is really important um and maybe it is just sally's and they're like oh he just is getting crazier or he's just yeah. branching out and whatever I loved more stirring through the through the, the stove. Ashes, yeah. And then were there some bones in there? Did I don't I know if they were like, bones or like finger. Like yeah, it kind of felt like they were like digits of some kind. Yeah, I don't remember what he's taking from the bodies though. I feel like it's just it's there's no like bones coming along for the ride. Well, so. he's there's been missing hands. I guess that's true. Yeah, so I guess there would be bones in the. Ugh. You know, yeah, no. It was a really effective scene because I've, like I've said, like I said, I've I've read it a good handful of times now, and in watching it is something else. Sometimes, sometimes the book is scarier in your own mind, but you know, we've been with these characters, we watch them endure a lot of horror, and watching more 
who, you know, episode one more would not have had the stomach to crack open that stove and stir through there. And no. he, he went for it in this episode. Or was, even uh, look at the jar of eyeballs at the end. Yeah, if that's not character growth, I don't know what is. <laughs> but Marcus just refusing to give up on that jar was pretty good yeah. under the bed there. Uh, or under the cot <laughs> he sleeps on. <laughs> uh, and what's what's Lucius doing? Is he looking at the calendar? Uh, I don't remember. I'm not anyway, sure, actually. It was a great scene. I'm I'm glad that they're all together again and yeah. working as this team that they're not splitting up into duos. It's really satisfying for them to all be together for these like watershed moments. For and sure. to watch them bounce off of each other. They're going to have to stick together from here on out because it's just getting too the stakes are getting too high. Yeah, they're like to to split up. Way too close to the Yeah. to real danger. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Uh it was it was uh it was really terrifying coupled with the shots back at the uh, the bathhouse. Or the the pool, whatever it is. Yeah, I still kind of have questions about what that is. So I guess if anybody else has a clear picture of, is, is it just like a public bathhouse or what could it possibly be? I uh, think so. Lucius is the one that finds the heart. Okay. Or he's looking at it with Sarah at least. Or Sarah, fi- Sarah finds it. Yes. Because she, she says, what's this? And he looks at it and says, it's a heart. Yep. Yeah, but... Uh, I love those Isaacsons. They're so good. Yeah, no, it's. They're, go ahead. They're not quite as quirky as they are in the book, in terms of their banter. They have a lot of like sidebars in front of the rest of the group in the book, where they like bicker with each other about yeah. things, and they're really, really fun. And they don't have that quite as much in in the show, but that's fine. The personalities still come through. It's something that I feel like I knew would be there in the book, seeing them in the show. Like it, they yeah, just yeah. feel like that duo that in a form that doesn't necessarily like need to adhere to a tone as much mm-hmm. as the show does. You could play with them a little bit more, but yeah, no, yeah, it's, great. it's a, that was a fantastic scene. Uh, but yeah, it was cross cut with all the bathhouse stuff. Um, any thoughts on that? In particular? <clears throat> that shot of him dropping from the ceiling. Woo yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> that was crazy. That was so eerie and so well done. And just the sound of him sliding on that rope, I was like, oh Jesus, is that horrifying? <laughs> um I didn't expect it. That's the thing. It just like came out of nowhere. Yeah. And that was that was really, really fantastic. Uh the the t- the order so the boy that he ends up meeting is a lot older than the rest, or at least that's how it felt to me. That was a little confusing. I felt like he was a lot older than everyone else we've seen get killed so far. Yeah. He looked more like a teenager than a boy. He certainly... I don't know how much of that is... Well, no, I guess we've seen a lot of the other victims, and they're certainly... They look a lot more like Joseph than... Yeah. But that threw, that threw me a little bit because when you said I'm meeting somebody, I, I kind of was like, I feel like this is a red herring because he looks so much older. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. It doesn't matter now. <laughs> clearly, it was uh, clearly it was what was happening. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I, I, it's I, not, liked, I don't feel like Joseph's going to make it out of there alive. So. Yeah, it's not looking good. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> I don't think Beecham's the one to just say, like, all right, take yeah. a hike. I'll get you next time. Yeah, exactly. 
Don't tell anybody. <laughs> uh, I, I always, I'm not a fan of this in horror movies, though, when characters are hiding and the killer just knows where they're at without yeah. really any evidence. Didn't like it here too much more either. Um, Joseph wasn't being particularly quiet. He was trying to be quiet, but yeah, I don't know. I also, for some reason, did not expect him Beecham to be just buck naked in there. Yeah. During the NA, I I don't know why I didn't expect that because they kind of talked about that already. But that that caught me off guard when he stepped into frame and his foot was just like a nude foot. Yep. I was like, whoa, oh, gross! He's covered in blood and he's and like the the sounds he's making while he's cutting into the body are like really really horrifying. There's oh. a there was a lot said by not showing us very much other than the kid's feet like jostling around and, and hearing the sounds he's making. Yeah, oh. hearing it hearing it uh like his body in the blood kind of slipping and sliding back and forth is just not not good. <laughs> it was really grisly. And then the the shot under the door seeing the body slide by the fact that i was like oh man that's a clever way to shoot around the fact that he's probably oh and then i was like oh wait no his penis has probably been cut off at this point so (laughs) but they're still hiding the gore from you using that bottom yeah yeah i didn't even think about that i thought i just thought i was like wow that's a pretty clever shot and then i was like oh wait (laughs) (laughs) like man how did the way how did they shoot around that guy's dick oh That's often that what I'm thinking about with TV shows. That's that's really funny. But uh, yeah, no. Yeah, the uh, it it's impressive when violence manages to bother me because we're I'm so desensitized. I, I want to say we as a society are so desensitized to it. And I don't want to speak for everybody, but I know that I am. Yeah. And you know I've watched RoboCop like 80 times, so <laughs> I've seen it all. And this is like really effective it mm-hmm. really really made me go oh like it made me uneasy maybe part of it's the fact that i'm sick right now and so my stomach is a little uh, <laughs> a little suspect anyway but it definitely yeah. uh it definitely really really struck me as being like really terrifying and i don't know i don't know why joseph hides in a locker i mean so yeah, the, why, why doesn't he just keep trying to run yeah or just get go back the way you came i don't know clearly you've got the element of slight i mean if you get out of the building you're gonna be okay yeah. is my perspective because he's not gonna come running out naked and covered in blood and chase you down the street with his with his arkansas toothpick yep um i don't know but anyway i'll just blame it on panic and uh and just you know not thinking thinking it through but uh, i forgot what i was gonna say in regards to that oh the uh so the the this scene doesn't really happen in this way in the book. So that's part of the reason I was kind of like, I, I can't speak definitively to what's going to happen to Joseph because this okay. is all, this is all new. Uncharted territory. This, this, yes. This bathhouse sequence. So I was along for the ride as well. And I'm really glad I was because like I said, that shot of him repelling down scared the Jesus out of me. Mm-hmm. And speaking of uncharted territory, I kind of, the question came to me, as I was watching, but I was wondering, I guess I don't know exactly what I want you to say, but Laszlo stepping away from the investigation, how much of that is accurate to the book? Uh, that is, Laszlo does step away. Okay. Following, following these events, Laszlo does, does kind of, uh, say he needs to check out for a while. Okay. As to, 
for how long uh, or in what capacity, I think there's a little variance. So does he I does say anything further? Does he? I get okay. Feel free to not answer these <laughs> questions as well. But does he end the investigation in the book, or does he say I'm not doing this anymore? You, you know, know, I can't recall. Okay. Uh, I think he just says, I'm out. And if you guys, I mean, he has no authority to tell them to end. Yeah, it, that's so true. They can go on without him. And I think that they even all kind of were like, what's, the, I think they're all, I think, <laughs> I think Moore's the one who's like, well, guess that's that. And he's kind of <laughs> like, you know, we, we can't possibly do it without Laszlo. And I think Sarah's the one who's like, hell yes, we can. Like, screw you. We're going to keep going. Yeah. Well, and yeah, that's what she does in the show, too. So, <laughs> yeah. That, yeah that... I believe she's the one who, and I think John is kind of the one who's like, I'm not so sure we'll get anywhere without Laszlo. And she consults the chalkboard and says, <laughs> we've got it all here. <clears throat> let's let's keep going. Like, we know where we know where we're at. And we get we get that to an extent in this show. Yeah. Well, all in all, like, I, yeah, this felt I feel like this is my favorite episode of the show so far. I really liked it. Yeah. I I. I think there was one I liked a little more previously, but now I just don't remember which one it was. So was it the one at all... the movie theater? Maybe. <laughs> I did. Uh, I did really love that scene. <laughs> I love that scene. Yeah. I, I really liked whichever was the one where they. Go, I guess it was episode eight. Was the yeah. Halts one. I really loved that one. Yeah. They're getting. They've all been kind of trending upwards. I think. They're, I think so too. They're all kind of. I think episode five, if I recall, I didn't love because it kind of felt like falling action on the heels of episode four yeah but either way i I did really like it a lot uh the you know we're so close if not there they know who he is they know where he is or where he's supposed to be i do think i mean i i understand why they go to his apartment because or to his whatever it is his loft his apartment his house his apartment um I understand why they go because they're looking for clues, but at the same time, they've got to know he's not there. So when they're all like cautiously like opening the door, I'm like, you got to know he. It's the night of the of if he's gonna strike, he's gonna strike. He's out. They yeah. Never, no I, one ever seems to say that. Well, I think they. I, yeah, I don't know. I guess in my mind, when I thought about that fact, I was like, maybe they're only there because they <laughs> think he's going to be out. Like maybe they're there just to look and see and confirm and try to find and make sure that they've got the right man. I understand, but and if he uh, happens at that point, to be there, I don't know. But are they basically conceding defeat by by being like, "Oh, we're we're too late." Like it's the night of. We have no idea where he's going to be, so we may as well. You know what I mean? Like the the whole goal is to just keep people from being killed, and you would think that they would feel they would more try to urgency have... to like stop what's going to happen that night. Exactly, or like have somebody stationed on some roof somewhere to at least try. Yeah, it's a little weird. But, but she, I think Sarah does remark that it, we're. I don't know if she says we're not going to make it, or it's going to be too late, or I feel like she, she had does a, say she says at some point then we're too late. Yeah, and it may be when they get to the apartment and he's not there. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think so, but I mean their resources are spread more thin at this point. Yeah. You know, Laszlo isn't there, and so by association, Cyrus and Stevie, yeah, pretty much aren't available either. Yeah, and I don't know. It's uh, it's gonna be a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, when they realize that somebody else was killed under 
you know, right under their noses, essentially at this point. Yep. All right. But they're getting closer. Yes, they are. Uh, once again, you can also find more episodes of our podcast at TheAlienist.tv. We're also on TV Time, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play Music. You can email us at feedback at TheAlienist.tv to tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on TNT's The Alienist so we can read them on our show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding The Alienist or our podcast. The Midwest Podcast Network has other shows about video games, horror movies, HBO's Westworld, and AMC's Preacher. Find out more about these shows as well as how to support the network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Our theme song is the music, or well, our theme music is the song Division by Kevin McLeod. And it is being used under an attribution Creative Commons license. And that's all for this episode of the Alienist Recap. We can't wait to see what's ne- what next week's episode of the Alienist brings. But until then, we'll see you at the chalkboard. At the new headquarters, though. Yeah, the saloon. At the old saloon. The The, the 808 saloon, or whatever it's called. (laughs) 